Praise the Lord. He's good all the time. And his presence is with us, and uh, we're going to trust that the Holy Spirit will lead us this morning, because you sure don't want me doing it. And uh, one thing, a couple things real quick. Um, I know some of you, and I'm not mentioning names, were thinking that was five people who spoke, and that was more than three. So, so before you write emails, <laughs> just let me say that sometimes people speak for him, and sometimes they're actually speaking to him, and maybe shouldn't be said. I've been in meetings where I was talking, and the guy came over and put his hand on my shoulder and said, that's your prayer to him. It's not for us. Okay, so we're all people. Sometimes people start a message, and then someone else has to finish it because they stop. And so we don't know, but God's in control of all of it. He's not offended by any of it, and I think he would much rather us give it a shot than to sit around doing nothing. So, at least that's my opinion, and I highly respect it. And the, uh, the other thing is, a lot of the words, if, if you were listening, were talking about uh, being in his face, asking him, standing in his shadow. All of those require a very close proximity. And I think the, the goal is God wants you connected intimately with him. And in that position, you can ask anything, you can be anything, and he will cover it. He will take care of it because you won't do stupid things when you're standing in front of him. So don't say that I said you can do anything when you're with God because I did not. But I can tell you, you will want to do a lot less when you're with him. So I'm really not going to preach this morning. I'm going to do my usual ramble. And I should... uh, I probably have 12 to 13 points, no main idea, just going to let the Holy Spirit talk to each of you, and I guess in a few weeks we'll gather and find out what he said. (laughs) And I I think Pastor Tim and Carol both are gone um, for plausible deniability, and uh, (laughs) I'm just kidding, they're both out traveling, and we want them to have a blessed time and a great rest. We're a very blessed congregation, and we get the highest quality of teaching and care of any church I've ever been in, and I've been in a lot. Not because I was church hopping, but I was (laughs) traveling. Oh, I don't know. This is better. I do that. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, I want to start with... um, what God's been doing with me in the last few weeks or months, and that is uh, kind of a time of reflection. You know, I'm just past middle age, unless I live to be 120, which I'm not sure that's going to work, but you never know with science and technology the way it is. Uh, So I had a time of reflection, um, and I wasn't... Have you ever had a time where you reflect and you're really not happy with where you find yourself? It's like, what happened here? And... uh, You know, I've been in ministry now for almost 30 years, 27, 27, 28. And it's so easy to slide from passionate loving of God into a routine of almost work. And for me, it was uh, when I'm reflecting, I think of a lot of things at one time 
because it helps me. But I remember a time where the zeal of the Lord so grabbed me that when I came into a room, people would say, what have you been doing? Because his presence is so overwhelming. If you look in Scripture, wherever he shows up and you're close, you're different. You may not recognize it, but everybody else will recognize it. And so there's been seasons in my life when I was younger where I had those times where really nothing else mattered but him. And I could care less about anything else. Not that I don't care. I wasn't worried about anything else would be the better way to say it. And then life happens. You get too busy, too many things going. Uh, You finally realize that you've slipped from where you were. And then you kind of just get into this malaise of just life. And so a couple weeks ago I was driving, and uh, if you think that this title is a reference to a Pink Floyd song, you're right. (laughs) It's not a bad one. Not all their songs are bad. Uh, But I was driving, and in the song is, uh, well, before I say that, let me say this. This song, Comfortably Numb, I liked it when I was 18. And so, I, you know, when you're 18 and living at home, you think every paycheck is just for you. Your parents don't need anything. It's all your money. So I bought four. At the time, the speakers were about like this for my bedroom. And I had them facing each other so that if you got in the middle, you would have maybe a stroke. But if you stayed <laughs> on the sides, we you could bounce all the stuff off of your dresser. And, the, and my parents were very gracious. They never threw me out or took anything away. But one time I was listening to this song kind of loud, and I got a knock on the door. It was my mom. And I thought, this, this probably isn't going to be good. So she said, I turned it down. She said, who is that? I said, it's Pink Floyd. She said, I like it. <laughs> and then walked out. And that was the day I knew my mom was cool. (laughs) I'm not endorsing the band, because personal taste is personal taste, but her taste is excellent. (laughs) So a couple of weeks ago, I was driving to church, and that song came on, and it made me reflect back to those times with mom, or that particular time. And the chorus came on, and of course I'm singing it. I, I sing really loud and really well in the car when I'm alone but nobody will argue with that. But the chorus says, when I was a child, I caught a fleeting glimpse out of the corner of my eye. I turned to look, but it was gone. I cannot put my finger on it now. The child has grown, the dream is gone, and I have become comfortably numb. And as soon as I sang that, I heard a voice say, yes, you have. You've learned to live in this numbness of disconnect from me, a numbness of disconnect from the world so you can function in and out of good and bad times, but they never get you anymore. You know, Jesus said, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. When you're in a comfortably numb state, you can't do either. You you neglect care and you don't celebrate. And it's a terrible place to be. And so as I was singing it, that, it's been haunting me since I'm, well, I am making steps, just like, <laughs> I'm not staying there, don't worry, that's why I'm here. Um, 
but during a quiet time recently, and it, well, the, the thing is too, it's not that I didn't love God. It's kind of like a marriage that starts off really sparky and then after a few years it's kind of not so sparky. You just get in a routine. It's not that you don't love each other anymore. It's that it's different. But I didn't want to stay there. And so I was in a quiet time. I, I ran across Hebrews eleven thirteen, And it, the verse is, All these died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them from afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And I thought, well, if they died in faith, then that must have been what assured them. So what is faith? Of course, we, we all know faith is the substance of things hoped for. Okay, so it's real stuff. And if you're saved, you've experienced the gift of faith at least one time combined with the gift of grace. Saved by grace through faith, and you became a new creature. So I know you, most of you have already experienced that at least once. But when faith comes, it... It, it's real. It can't be shaken. And I had a funny story. I was trying to get an upgrade on an airplane seat one time, and, and I made a joke that it was gonna, I was going to get an upgrade, and I remember instantly the Holy Spirit just said, yep, it's going to happen. And it did. And I was still shocked. Even when it's happening, I'm like, really? Did I get this? Um, but these all died in faith. The hope is not like, oh, I hope this works out. That's not the hope that we're talking about. This hope is an expectancy that is going to happen. It's sort of like when you're a little kid at Christmas. You know, a month before Christmas, you're counting down the days. It's a coming. It's a coming. And then when faith hits, it becomes yours. And you almost can't let it go. You almost have to follow through with it. And so in light of in light of that, Hebrews 10.39, which is right before 11.1, 1, says that they, we don't want to become of the people who pull back and are destroyed. And I'm not saying God's coming out to destroy you. I'm saying when you pull back, you lose the ability to tap into the wisdom, power, and understanding of God for all your circumstances. And so many times I've gotten into circumstances where it was too late to pray. I'd already allowed so much stuff to get in that I couldn't even, I had no idea what God was thinking. And I just didn't want to do that. And I kept thinking of this comfortably numb thing. And so many of us, and I'm probably the worst at this, I look at help, I try to get help from outside. Like I'll try to run into people I think are godly or can give me a word of prophecy or something just to get some help for the inside. And real, you know what? Real help comes from the inside. It doesn't come from the outside. And so what do you really believe? Because in here is the answer to every problem. Now, you can get confirmation from people, but it's in here where it resides. And I'm not trying to interpret Scripture today. I'm going to be all over the place. So if you think I got it wrong, I probably did. But you'll forget it before tomorrow anyway. So <laughs> it's fine. Uh, so I wanted to understand who didn't receive what promise. Okay, I just read in 13 that they all died 
never having received the promise, but they were convinced of it, so much so that they didn't let go of it until they died. And then I don't think they let go of it either. And so I looked at the end of the chapter, and you know at the end it says uh, again that they all died in faith, never having received the promises. It's all Old Testament people. Uh, but I went back and looked at the five in front of verse 13. So you have, first one is by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, though which, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being, and though he being dead still speaks. So I'm like, what's the promise? He did. He's righteous, but he doesn't say what the promise was. <coughs> but it did help me remember that the promises of God are not limited to nat- natural life. Because in Genesis 10.4, it says that his blood, after he was killed, is speaking from the ground. So the promise, whatever it was, was still locked up in that blood to be exposed at a later time. And then verse 5, it says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found, because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. What's the promise? He pleased God, God took him. And as far as I know, that's all that's mentioned about Enoch in the Bible. He just, God liked him and took him. Don't like me too much. (laughs) Faith shows itself in diligence. Enoch was so connected to the Lord that God just said, come on, come up here. Then you have Noah in verse 7, divinely warned of things not yet seen, and he moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. All right, so Noah knew his voice, he was moved by the fear of God, and that revelation of the fear of God for Noah had him working on a boat for 120 years, and he never stopped, even though nobody had seen rain. And intimacy, the goal of all real relationships, is that closeness, and the fear of God Like if God showed up, I'm sure we would all hit the ground. The fear of God will make you fall, but it won't make you run. It'll draw you in. And if you'll remember uh, Peter, James, and John up on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter says, it's good that we're here. Let's build something. (laughs) Of course, they didn't build anything, but that's what we do. We do something. Okay, and then in verse 8, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out of a place which he was to receive an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. So Abraham gave up his inheritance, didn't know where he was going, and he was 75 years old when he left. That's pretty old. That's in Genesis 12, 4, that, that he was 75. And he kept the promise. He, he, got a, he had a vision of God that kept him and made him leave. And then in 11, it says that by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. And I wondered, when did she do that? After Ishmael, after Ishmael was born? Because after that, 
Abraham's 86 when Ishmael is born. And then the, the next, very next verse, which is 17, 1, he's 99. You know, and I think I've said this before, when you're in trouble, sometimes it gets quiet. So when did she actually consider him faithful? Because she tried to work it all out herself on the front end. That didn't work too well. So the list was very confusing to me, and I thought, uh, I honestly thought, and this is going to sound terrible, I just thought I'd go back and read the verses and find out what promises they didn't get, that they died really believing they were going to get, because that's what happens to us. We think we're going to get a promise, and then we don't get it. So we get frustrated or we get hurt. And, uh, and these folks waited well. And actually, the promises they died without, for the, the, the whole thing was more about faithfulness. In my mind, okay, faithfulness is more about me. Are you being faithful? It starts with me. And that's what I was reading those scriptures at. Okay, what did Noah do? What did Abraham do that they had that kind of faith that they acted? And it was starting with them. And that's why I couldn't get any clarity on it. And instead of focusing on the revelation of him, because the revelation of him is focused on him. And they all started with him. And so the promise they didn't see was Jesus. Even though they had seen it from afar off, and it drove their life till they died. And I need that same revelation of Jesus, and I'm on the other side. I can be with him. I can see him. But if I don't have that revelation of him, I'm going to be distracted, and it's not going to drive my life. I want, to, I want to die the same way they did, completely enamored with the Father, full of faith, and they just went on. And what's really interesting is if you read John eight fifty six, Jesus is talking, and he says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. That was the promise. To see that day when Jesus came. And of course right after that they said well you're not even 50 years old and you saw Abraham. He says, and then that's when Jesus says oh by the way before Abraham was I am. And he brought that, that connection that was the promise and I think they all saw it. I think they all saw the Messiah in whatever it was they were doing. I think Noah found it. I think Sarah found it eventually. Enoch knew it. And they all died waiting on Messiah to be revealed. And then Jesus comes back and says, Oh, by the way, your father Abraham rejoiced to see this day. And that's the only promise that I want to have. That that promise to see him in that day. It's the promise of God. And if the promise is not yours... There's nothing you can do to help me or I can't do to help you. You've got to take the promise yourself. I can't be that promise for you. It's between you and God. Once you get that promise, your faith gets activated 
And that hope that begins to build one day becomes faith, and then it's yours, and it will drive your life forever. One of the things I'm always blessed by is Pastor Carroll, who's like, I don't know how long he's been in ministry, since 60, not 60 yet, but a long time. But he never changes. He's always driven by a vision of the kingdom and the Messiah. And everything he does is for that. He's here every morning at a really ridiculous hour praying for you guys. I like to come in after him, (laughs) like way after him. But he has a vision of the kingdom and the Messiah. And he is so connected to it that it drives everything with him. And then it shows in his life, the fruit of his life. And we, I need that same thing. This whole song, you know, Pink Floyd, the, the whole comfortably numb, if you can function below what you're created to function at, you're numb. If my back's hurting and I act like it's not, or I can function with it hurting, I'm numb. Which means I'm not feeling everything that needs to be felt. Because if you're numb, you're going to really hurt yourself before you realize there's something wrong. And spiritually, that's what I was doing. I was hurting myself because I was living so far below what I could be because it was always starting with me. My promises, my life, my salvation. What about his life, his promises? And how do I get connected to those? And when we heard those words this morning... That's all it was talking about was connection. Get back to me so that you'll know. But if you come at him to try to get your promises met, you've you've already missed it. It's not about us. It's about him. Now, he includes us in everything because that's the kind of guy he is. He loves you, wants you to partake of everything. He doesn't need us at all, but he really likes us. Some of us I understand why, some I don't. I'm not telling you which crowd I think I'm in. But we have to see the Messiah and the kingdom first. Not the promise, not the ministry, not the gifts, not any of it. Just focus on him and let all of that uh, do whatever. Because you know what I've found is the more I'm connected to him, the less I really care about what I'm doing. The only time I seek your approval is when I'm not getting his. Because when I get his, I don't need yours. Because he's so much above that. And, and if you think of Stephen being stoned, uh, how you can be dying and look at Jesus and just say, forgive him. You have to be enamored with him. It's at a level that it doesn't matter anymore. And you remember when uh, J. Warner Wallace was here, he did a, a diagram of a ray you know, with a, a beginning point, and then it had a, a, a new birth point. And that's the way most of us look at our lives. We were born and we die. And he made a statement that I've thought of, I bet, a, a hundred times since then. And that is that that's a pagan worldview. Because we don't get born and die. We get born, we get born again, and we live forever. Right. So the promises can be over here doesn't have to be while we're alive and I, I, I'm wondering and again I, I told you I was going to ramble um, I'm wondering how many times we don't 
get an answer to what we're asking God for, and we just let it go. And we usually, after a while, you get old enough to just say, well, you know, brother, God doesn't always do what you want. Well, he does if you're connected to hear what he's saying. He does exactly what he says. It's when I can't hear him that I'm always juggling to figure out what is it you're doing and where do you want to do it. But when I'm with him, I'm totally secure because his security is now in me. He's the most secure person in the universe. He has no threats. Once I'm embracing him, I have no threats. What are you going to take from me? The only time I get scared is when I fear I'm going to lose something. Fear of death, fear of uh, ridicule, rejection. All those fears are taking a place that God wants out of your life. And you're letting it stay there. He can't stay there with that. Fear and faith don't mix. God doesn't put up with your silliness because you're silly. He wants you to grow up. Do we make mistakes? All the time. He's not going to condemn you for a mistake, but you've got to be doing something to make a mistake. You can't make a mistake if you're just sitting. That's what I did in math class. Right before I took it over. And in John, Jesus says, Abraham has seen it now. Do you know what it's going to do to us when as a body and individually we see? And so I have another question to ask you. How well do you wait? Now, I'm kind of a relaxed guy. I can wait a long time, which usually means I let it go before I, and then I have to run after it to catch it because I waited too long. But some of you don't wait at all. You hear from the Lord, and if he doesn't do his thing quick enough, you move on to the next thing. And I find in my life, I'm just being honest, in my life, when I'm not sure what he's saying and I can't figure it out, I look for words. I seek words. Now, I enjoy a good word from the Lord. Who wouldn't? It's just, but it's a confirmation. It's not something I need to, to live. And so I've had several in the last couple of weeks, which I assumed were so I would keep dealing with this. You know, it's like, keep going, dummy. Keep going. <laughs> Let's get this thing done. So you can either push ahead in intimacy and friendship with the Lord fellowship, or you sit back, wait, and blame. And I've done both. There's been seasons where I pushed after him and was always satisfied in the process. Was never uh, disgruntled or defeated if I was pursuing what he had said. But I always get disgruntled when I just sit back and point fingers either at him or the people in my life that are causing me to, to do whatever. You know, if you're fighting anger, uh, put it, if, if you don't take the promises of God and always filter it through the context of his character, everything you hear has to be filtered through that context, which is, number one, he's love. And he's kind, and he's good, and he's long-suffering, and he's patient. And every time you hear something from the Lord and put it in that context, you'll have a clear view of what he's saying. It's only when you hang on to part of you and then filter it through that 
that it comes up a little skewed. And eventually you just get disgruntled and, and do whatever you're going to do. Uh, and it, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble getting all of my thoughts here. <laughs> if you hear a word from the Lord and view it as an action item, you've already missed it. It's never an action item. It's a together item. It's something he wants you to do with him. And it's all about obedience. And if you detach his kingdom, there's only one other kingdom out there. The kingdom of darkness. So you have to stay connected to the kingdom to get his heart in obedience. And we can't take pieces of the Christian life and apply it individually in the circumstances and ever affect anything long term. It's a holistic approach. Because when you start taking pieces of the kingdom and applying them, which we all do because we have certain things in our life that we shouldn't be doing that we like. So we kind of block that off. And then we apply parts of the, we'll take this part of the kingdom for this area of our lives. But when you do that, you lose the power of transformation. You change, you change an item or an action, but you're not changing. And so you get a feel-good moment for a couple of weeks or a month, and then you come to church, and everything's good, and then we don't see you for a few weeks, and we call you, and you're frustrated, and then the devil just takes you in the cycle again. He'll let you get better for a little bit until you get to be a pain, and then he'll just drop you again because he's got this place in you. You can't, you can't appropriate just parts of the kingdom. You're either in or you're out. And that includes everything. So you've got to walk in forgiveness. You've got to walk in love. You've got to, all the, the attributes of the kingdom. <coughs> Without God himself, you, there's nothing you can apply that's going to help. And trying to take a piece of the Christian life and act like that's transformation is ludicrous. It's like putting a piece of chocolate in chicken soup and now saying it's chocolate. It's just really bad chicken soup is what it is. Okay, because it's a holistic approach. So we've talked before that, you know, the, the fruit of the Spirit is one fruit. And it's expressed nine ways. You've heard that here, I'm sure, many times. So depending on what's needed... That's how it's expressed. So you have love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, and a couple others. I don't want to show off. <laughs> all right? And also the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. All those gifts at the end of, I think it's verse 11 of chapter 12, it says the Holy Spirit gives them to you as he wills. In other words, you have access to all of them depending on what's needed. It doesn't do any good to give someone who's starving a word of wisdom because it will sound something like, go eat. It doesn't help anything. So it depends on what the Holy Spirit's doing. <coughs> and the one common denominator is the Holy Spirit. Where is he? He's in here. So everything I need for life and godliness is already in here. But I have to access it. I can't get it from you. Now, I like hanging out with righteous people because I know that we're safe. 
But as far as producing in my life, it's not going to produce in my life. And eventually I'll just get critical because it's, you can't stand by somebody who's succeeding all the time and you're failing and not get disgruntled. And talk about the offering or something so that you can find another church. But I would like to suggest this as well. I, I was reading the Beatitudes. And if you look at the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, you can't have just one of those. Like, you can't be meek and then not poor in spirit. So the thing is, if you look at those, it depends on what you, what you want. Blessed are the meek, for they shall see God. You want to see God? Be meek. Use your meekness. Don't just get up one day and say, I'm going to be meek so I can see God. That's not the point. It's all in here. Just walk in whatever for that moment he wants you to walk in. And you'll get the benefit of what he's offering to you. Because he's not doing it to bribe you. He's doing it to bless you. Because whatever he's doing for you, he looks right over your shoulder at everybody else is going to bless. Sorry, I'm itching because I got some poison oak. And then I scratched. And then I'd forget and I'd touch the place. And then in a couple hours, this one itches. So now it's bad. So the Holy Spirit is in you. Circumstances come and go. And most, we usually uh, outlast them rather than overcome them. And sometimes we look at outlasting circumstances as overcoming. And we think we've appropriated the gifts of grace. And we've never touched them. We just happened to outlast it this time. And that can give you such a false sense of security that when something really tough comes... You don't have it. The strength isn't there. It's like, you know, if you are a bodybuilder or work out a lot and you just go out and try to triple your weight in one day, you're just going to have a broken arm because you can't handle it yet. And if you think that you can, it's the same as when you... So many times we try to appropriate God's promises without his conditions. They're not conditional because he's angry at you and trying to make you jump through hoops. They're conditional because if he blesses you in a wrong state, it will hurt you. It's like if, you, if you're a stingy person and won't give, he can't bless your finances. Not because he just, well, if you don't give, I'm not giving to you. It's like, well, if I give to you now, it's going to kill you worse than it's already killing you. Because it's anytime you're outside the kingdom, you've got to remember, anytime you're outside of his kingdom, you're in the other kingdom. And you're subject to the laws and rules of that kingdom. And it's only in God's grace and mercy that we're not dead. Because if the enemy could have got you, he would have. So you could take heart and say, nah, 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 you can't get me. Just make sure you don't let any more holes in. So we don't want to be the kind of people that have to outlast our circumstances. Which, for me, going through this whole process of, of this whole comfortably numb thing was that uh, I was outlasting my circumstances. I remember some years ago somebody said, um, nobody can make you mad, you have to choose anger. 
I said, that's right. But then they said this. If I can make you angry, I control you. I remember consciously thinking, then I'm going to act like I'm not angry. And I'm going to control you. (laughs) Not the right spirit there, just so you know. You cannot outlast circumstances and have it change anything for you. It just, it's endurance is all that is. And uh, we do this a lot on, like, I'll just bring up dieting because I'll look up at the ceiling so nobody knows who I'm talking about. But me. Because we, we, we try to eliminate the problem instead of master it. And so we go to the, the next fad because this is going to eliminate the problem. But it doesn't. It comes back again, and you have another problem now. And uh, Lori and I had a friend when we lived in Arkansas, and uh, Lynn Kaiser was her name. She's gone on to be with the Lord, and she, hopefully she's watching. Uh, but they were, they were talking. I was sitting there, and they were talking about uh, chocolate addiction. And Lori said something like, well, I'm going to stop eating it. And that's when Lynn said, so you're going to eliminate it rather than master it. And I remember thinking, well, why would you want to master it? And so you learn a little bit of self-control, maybe so you could still enjoy it since you like it. Because you know what? If you eliminate it, it's just going to be a matter of time before you give in. And we are classic. We're like off the charts at being able to uh, justify something we want to do. It's got antioxidants in it. (laughs) Okay, be honest. How many of you have said that? A lot of us, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Successes also come and go. And if you build your life on your success, apart from him, it's just as dead as if it was a failure. And you know in Corinthians where it says that at the end that all of our work's going to stand there and the fire's going to come and see what kind of work it was. And if you lose some of it, you're going to suffer loss. Uh, but if, and if you lose it all, you're still saved, but you're going to suffer a bigger loss. So how could everything you do burn up and you still go to heaven? How could that be? It's because the, the only time you ever appropriated the kingdom in your life was to get saved. Because there's no other place to get saved. And anything you do without him, I'm telling you, is going to burn. You're going to have a big pile, and uh, it's going to come through, and then you're going to look really sad. But you're going to get to heaven. But all, why waste time doing things that you're not going to get a reward for? Because in Revelation, we're going to give him back the reward anyway. We're going to see him and go, this is yours. And we'll be happy about it. But we've got to stay connected. It's one kingdom. It's not a bunch of kingdoms. It's one kingdom. It's one God. It's one Holy Spirit. It's one, one, one. And when when we're talking about organic, organic always comes from inside. And then once I'm right and you're right, we can join. Because if we have people with bad roots, 
it's going to poison the trees on both sides. And only you know that is the problem. We can see the results of it because we get the phone calls and we, get the, uh, we see things that are happening. And we're always confused. What's God doing? And he's like, I'm not doing anything. You're doing it. But you won't know that until you're so connected with him and so disconnected from every other distraction that you actually begin to see him for who he really is. And like I've already said, when you see him for really who he is, everything else is irrelevant. It does not matter anymore. Your 401k doesn't matter. Whatever it is. I keep waiting for a 65 Mustang, but so I can't mention that yet. But if anybody's listening. <laughs> when I first got saved, I was so enamored with him that I didn't even talk to very many people. And I realized that, you know, when you first get saved, you just realize, whew, I was bad. But now I'm good. But I was so connected to him that I got introduced here at the fir my first men's breakfast that I came to. It was a little white house, probably close to somewhere in here. And I came in and they said, this is Phil Yeoman. And he really loves God. I remember thinking, you don't even know me. But you know what I understand? He knew where I'd been. And I had lost that. And I have learned to be so comfortable, half numb, that I've, I've missed a lot of what God is doing. I don't think he's mad at me. I'm not saying any of that for a pity party. What I'm saying is I don't want to waste any more time with this. Let's just get connected. I'll do what you want. I'll obey. That's the only thing that we have to do is obey. If he doesn't tell you something, then it's not obeying to do something. But if he tells you something, then do it. And the more you do that and the more that connection, the intimacy you have with him will determine what he can trust you with. Because once you've, once you've got it, he doesn't have to worry. I mean, Enoch walked with him and God just took him. That's intimate. I think God was like, this guy's awesome. I'm going to bring him. He said, come on up here. And I know there people say, well, there's two people that didn't die so that in Revelation we can have the two witnesses. I don't care. <laughs> he still walked with God and God took him. So what if he has to come back for a week or two? I would imagine that all these years with God is going to make it even easier to be here through that thing. So that's why I said, you know, I'm not trying to be a theological guy here today at all. I'm just trying to give you my ramblings in my mind because I don't want to waste any more time not being connected to him to where everything I do produces eternal fruit and nothing I do is wasted. And when I get there, all my work doesn't burn up and it, I get a reward that I can hand back to him gladly and start to walk in the grace that he has here so that when the first bus comes, I want to lock the door on the last bus. I don't want to go first. Not if there's work to do. There's people that need us, but they, there's, they don't need what you don't have. It's got to be him. 
because he's the only thing that matters. And if you want to produce faith, start showing people who he is because he never fails. He's never wrong. He never gets it crooked like we do. But you, until your time spent with him isn't more than your time talking about him or trying to do things for him, you'll never be connected to the level you need to be to see what he wants you to do with your life. It just will not happen. Because if he releases you in a, in a broken state, you're just going to break everything. And I've done ministry where I broke things. Because I was on task. But I wasn't on his task. I was looking for results. And the, the first guy I led to the Lord, I don't know if we'll ever see him again. I church hardened him pretty good because I wasn't representing the king. I was representing my version of the king. And the real king takes away my breath. Doesn't give me anything to talk about besides him. Whenever I still have my breath, I'm not connected as deeply as I need to be. I wish it wasn't that easy. It just requires death. It does. Whatever's alive can't be killed. I mean, can't. Whatever's alive can't be used. Whatever's dead can't be killed. And anytime you're alive, you don't have room for his life. Because if he puts it in there, it's going to kill you. And if you're not willingly wanting to die, he's not going to mess with you. I mean, he'll mess with you because he loves you. But you know what I mean. There are things, this city, we want to change this city. We talk about unity. We talk about organic uh, connections that we have here. This is the most, one of the most fun churches I've ever been to, ever been a part of. I love everything about this place. But if we don't get connected to him together, we have nothing to offer the city. They've already got all the mess that we're, we're peddling. But every time that happens, we have to die. And to get away from this, you know, seeing the promises of God and having faith and strength to make it through anything, even to the point of death, versus living a comfortably numb state, I'd rather be over here. Because even though you're comfortably numb, you're still numb. And there's no life in numbness. And I think it's a potentially deadly state, honestly. And it's time for me to wake up. And it's time for you to wake up. So that we don't play these games anymore. And the only thing we have to do is be obedient to the last thing he said. And then I want to ask you a question and we'll pray. Because it's getting late. I'm getting tired and you are too. What do you see? They all died having seen the promise. So I want to ask you, what do you see?